ACASTCAST. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. So, I mean, I'll ask you actually, depending on what's going on, if you want to go. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zuck. Jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004. This show will cover a variety of topics relating to spirituality, mediumship, self-improvement, and intuitive guidance. Whatever interests you, remember that we are all here to share and learn. Sit back and get ready to socialize with the social psychic. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's with great pleasure that I have the opportunity of introducing Dr. Shelley Joy on the show this evening. Uh, she has a new book that's come out. It's called Developing Super Sensible Perception. Uh, Dr. Jo- Joy discusses in her new book this topic. And one of the things that I find very interesting about it is the idea of having the opportunity of awakening uh, extra abilities within yourself. And so that's something that I feel our audience might find very interesting itself. Uh, in terms of the book, it's, it, it highlights the powers of supersensory perception by detailing methods and techniques for the acquisition of supersensory powers distilled from Rudolf Steiner's 400 published volumes. Uh, it also includes writings with the Yoga Sutra, and it explores the acquisition of these powers at birth through genetics, and through ethiogens, such as uh, cannabis and uh, LSD and other type of substances as such. Um, you can also use mantra and prayer, exercise, and meditation as methodologies to develop these abilities. One of the other things that I'll say, when it comes to Rudolf Steiner, he lived from 1861 to 1925, so approximately about 100 years ago. And what Steiner theorized is that there exists within every human the potential for supersensory perception. Once activated, these abilities will awaken the higher self and attain knowledge of non-physical higher worlds. We'll get into that. Steiner himself worked diligently throughout his life to develop his faculties of supersensible perception. And scattered throughout his many works, he describes methods by which to activate and operate these abilities. Distilling techniques from Steiner's more than 400 published volumes, Dr. Joy presents a modern approach to cultivating supersensible perception and developing higher consciousness. It's with great pleasure that I welcome Dr. Joy to the show. Welcome well, to the hi, show. Jason. I'm glad to be uh, with you this evening. Thank you. Thank Hello. you. I know we got a chance to talk 
Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, sure. Hello? I can hear you fine. Okay, thank you. I was going to say, we had the opportunity of talking yesterday about this a little in advance, and one of the things I want to share with our audience is your background. Uh, can you tell our audience a little about your educational background experiences? Because I think it really lends an intriguing aspect to your perspective. Well, okay, I'll try. I have a, I have kind of an interesting life, but uh, that's supposed to be a Chinese curse, I think. Uh, hopefully not. In, in my case, it, it turned out kind of positive in the end. I started out uh, really interested in science when I was a kid. I, I loved science fiction, and I loved uh, science fiction movies. I used to read science fiction on a blanket with my dad when I was really little, just learning to read. So I gravitated toward uh, toward um, uh, science and mathematics and stuff in, in high school. I decided I really wanted to be uh, probably I was thinking about being an inventor, you know, going and inventing time machines and maybe getting into the space race or something. So I, uh, I, I, I built a science fair project that won, uh, won me a physics scholarship to, to a university. And I, the first year I studied physics, pure physics pretty much, and some basic things. And then the second year I shifted to math because it was more abstract and really intrigued me. Uh, mathematics is really fascinating, although I understand it has a high rate of suicides for mathematicians because they're thinking about invisible things and relationships. Um, so after I was I was pretty far along in my my uh, degree. I shifted to electrical engineering because I had always uh, been interested in, in radios. In fact, when I was 12, I I became a ham radio operator and learned the Morse code. And I was fascinated by being able to use the radio, uh, this little device with tubes in it back then, they glowed, and you could actually communicate with people thousands of miles away with using invisible energy, invisible waves. So it always was a mystery to me, and so I wanted to study electrical engineering to try to understand it and maybe invent something. Anyway, just before my senior year, uh, I got married. I was 21, and we went to uh, we went from Texas, where I was at the university, to to California. And um, I married an artist who was a painter, and uh, I actually started painting a little bit, which caused a few problems between us. But anyway, we went to California and. Uh, for the summer, and all our friends were mostly artists and, and uh, kind of hippie people, I guess. Normally an engineer, I guess, wouldn't be hanging around with too many artists, but I was married to one. So we uh, somehow I ended up on, on the beach near Big Sur, a beautiful white beach at night, taking LSD around 9 o'clock at night. And um, part of the reason was, I guess, because I had seen a, a, a Life magazine that said that people taking LSD can can speak to God, communicate with God. And uh, another part of my early life was I was a Roman Catholic. I was brought up as a Catholic in kind of a mysterious mass, and it was said in Latin back then. And so I had a, a slightly uh, mystical and religious uh, preparation for that. But, wow, that night I had no idea. Uh, I, I was suddenly, uh, and I was looking at it through eyes of a scientist, I think, because I had studied really hard for three years, physics, math, and engineering. And I was seeing all of these, they were like living entities. I was like in a, a vast ocean of consciousness, of, of, of different entities that were, that some of them could see me, I could tell, and uh, some of them were, were much larger than me. Uh, it, it's really hard to, to describe what you experience on entheogens. 
And uh, I call them entheogens because um, that's the term most people give to, to certain kind of natural drugs like LSD. Well, LSD is a, a man-made artificial one. But using it for, for religious reasons, for spiritual reasons, um, even cannabis can be called an entheogen. If you're using it for spiritual growth and trying to understand yourself, other than recreation, uh, otherwise uh, that's the distinction pretty much between entheogens and, and just calling them drugs. So I treated them with great care, and I, I had several experiences uh, around that time. But, but that particular first night opened my eyes to a whole field of uh, phenomena that I never heard about in my engineering and science classes. Uh, and I, I had taken some psychology courses even, but there was nothing about this world that I could see and that was so real. So um, that time of my, my uh, educational career, we were supposed to come up with the subject that we wanted to research the rest of our life. You know, you need to specialize in science. And I hadn't quite decided what I wanted to do yet. But after that night, the next morning, I realized I want to explore and study and research our consciousness. And uh, what happens when when your your mind shifts out of its normal, ordinary mode starts to perceive other things? So... Um, I went back to school, and I was really excited about studying uh, uh, consciousness, and I talked to a psychologist in the psychology department. He said, well, we don't, we don't deal with those things at all. For one thing, most of the drugs are illegal, and, and uh, you know, we, there's, there's no, no projects to explore them anywhere that we know. So I continued that year studying, and, and one, um, one evening after exams, three of us went out into the countryside it was near Austin, Texas, in the hill country. So we went out about 9 or 10 in the evening, and we went out to a place called Hamilton's Pool to go swimming. And um, after we swam for a while, there's a little waterfall across the other side of the, of the little, like a little lake, very small lake and a waterfall uh, with a big uh, stone rim around two-thirds of it, about 20 feet up. But suddenly all the crickets and the peepers, you know, in the forest when you go out at night in the summer, sometimes you hear all these peepers peeping. Suddenly they were totally quiet. So the three of us were actually resting against a rock, uh, a big rock on the little beach by the, by the lake. And we suddenly, suddenly I could see a light. I'm sure my, my companions did too. We saw a light coming up from the creek where it drained, uh, drained away from the pool down into a river. And we were afraid it was somebody, you know, we were, thought it was somebody with a flashlight. It turned out to be a little a sphere, like a sphere floating over the water, about 10 feet above the water. It looked like it was about a two-foot diameter beach ball, but it was made out of a lot of little dots of light, bright light, that were moving in little tiny straight lines. Uh, and... We were, I was terrified. We, none of us said a thing, but it just looked so strange and out of place. What, was it a UFO or something, but it didn't look like a machine. Well, this thing circled slowly around the lake, and then when it got above us, it just froze and hovered above us about 10 feet above us for what seemed like an, an eternity. I mean, we were just speechless. I mean, we talked about it the next morning, and we had all seen the same thing. But we didn't say a we didn't say a, say a peep during the time that it was there. 
Then it slowly moved away and went back down the creek and vanished. And at some point, suddenly, the total quiet was broken by all the peepers and the frogs and the crickets coming back chirping again. So that second experience made me realize that there's much more mystery in the world than science knows. That, you know, I had been thinking that science would pretty much uncover everything and, and teach me everything, but there, I realized there are much more mysteries in the world uh, than that. So I eventually I started discovering that there were books talking about uh, things like that, uh, uh, books on esotericism and, and, and uh, mysticism. And but I wanted to find some kind of scientific basis to these things, you know. What what was that thing? Um, I had been pretty uh, pretty religious when I was a kid, and we had to study religion classes. And there was a there was a saint back in the third century, I think, named Origen, who wrote a lot of things that were really important in the Christian uh, dogma back then. But one of the things he was criticized for was he said that when people died. They became spheres, spheres of light. And he was sure of this because he had experienced it, he, he said. And that got really, he got him in trouble with the hierarchy in the church because they were sure that when people were resurrected, they'd be in their human body. But he said, no, they're spheres of light. And I thought, oh, my goodness, maybe this was, this, maybe this was the soul of, of a, an Indian or somebody or something, a living thing. So I got out of electrical engineering school and decided to, to move to New York because there were a, a lot of teachers there. Uh, among them was John Lilly, who I had met in California. And John Lilly was an electrical engineer who got an MD degree, and, and he did re research. In, uh, his first research was with dolphins, and he was trying to develop a way to communicate with the dolphins, interspecies communication, he called it. So he would take dolphins in a, in a large swimming pool with his uh, – each, each dolphin had a human handler who became good friends with the dolphin. He would turn out the lights. He would first give them both a, a small dose of LSD and then put them in the pool and then record any sounds or electrical uh, 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 frequencies that, would, that he could that were coming out of the pool and around there and try then to interpret it to see if there was a way of – uh, enhancing communication between dolphins and humans. Well, finally he got in trouble with the government, which had been providing him with LSD, uh, because they closed down the, the project. Uh, people got scared of LSD and research with it. So his poor dolphins got uh, transferred, since they were owned by the government, they got transferred to California to a, a missile base. The Point Magoo is a naval base uh, north of Los Angeles, and unfortunately, they were training the dolphins to carry bombs to ships in Haipong Harbor. This is during the Vietnam War. And the poor dolphins were going to be killed, you know, to, to become a weapon. And I met him. He was there trying to train the dolphins and, and argue with the, um, the naval people about hurting the dolphins. And I got to uh, talk to him during lunch, and it turned out we were both ham radio operators, and we were both interested in consciousness and some of these mysteries. So I, after graduation uh, uh, from Texas, I went to New York, and I met John Lilly again. And he had just written a book on programming the human biocomputer. So his idea was that there are ways of, of uh, programming your mind and reprogramming it. Um, since then, there's a term called bioplasticity, 
which uh, is a recent thing. They they know that the the brain is very malleable and it can really change and perform new different functions if it's trained right. So about that time, I discovered Rudolf Steiner. Uh, uh, Rudolf Steiner was a he was trained in science, but about a hundred years ago, I, I found the book in a in a metaphysical bookstore, and I soon discovered there were like ten or twelve of his books in the store. And one of the, the names of one of the books was uh, uh, the acquisition of supersensible perception, and then his dissertation where he got his PhD was was called the intuitive thinking as a spiritual path. And what he tried to do, and that was use science, but it was like science at the end of the 1800s. He was trying to uh, explore consciousness, and. He he determined that humans have three three brains, which is interesting because uh, are three three thinking areas of the human being, and the way our educational system works, people are way out of balance because one of them is hardly ever trained, and um, I'll, I'll explain that really briefly here. The the first kind of thinking is called passive thinking, the second kind is active thinking, and the third kind is intuitive thinking. And intuitive thinking is not really taught in our schools. Um, the passive thinking is what a child uh, uh, uses uh, when they're using their mind to absorb information from the external world. They, they look at things, they, they hear someone talking, and they imitate. They watch someone tie a shoelace, and they imitate. So they're just absorbing information. Uh, a lot of adults these days primarily use passive thinking, you know, watching television and uh or listening to a radio show is somewhat passive thinking. Sure. Uh, active thinking is uh, the second kind of thinking that Steiner talks about, and that requires uh, education, either high school or college education. And, and not everyone who, who goes through education becomes a real active thinker, but the idea is you start to be able to use your brain in a new way to come up with new ideas and project uh, plans into the future and it sort of deals with logic and words, and uh, it requires academic training. But now the third kind that Steiner said, said was most important is intuitive thinking, which um, it, it's it's uh, he said it's a way of, of 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 exploring the higher worlds. It's a way of learning from what's inside you instead of outside you. And he gave a lot of techniques for developing intuitive thinking. In fact, he started a new system of education called the Waldorf schools, and um, there are still, I think right now there's about 800 of them in Europe, and I think of around 200 Waldorf schools in the United States. They're private schools, but how they're different oh, they than our normal educational system is they stress, um, they stress art and, and emotional training and, and, and spontaneous movements and in, intuitive uh, certain intuitive activities. And um, unfortunately, uh, Did you, this has been, intuitive thinking has been something that you, humans have been able to develop now and then. Uh, the mystics and, and uh, saints a, in various religions have uh, done that. Yeah. I have a question for and, uh, you. You said Waldorf one of the, okay, schools? Okay, so I want to give a real quick uh, uh, practical tip to people how you develop intuitive thinking. Uh if you meditate or, or practice mindfulness, that's a way of developing intuitive thinking. And it by by getting very quiet, by quieting down your active thinking and your passive thinking, 
you quiet your mind to the point where it gets really quiet and you are able to listen to something that's happening inside you. I have a question for you real quick. Sure, sure. In response to what you're saying, you said they were Waldorf schools? Waldorf. They're called Waldorf schools. Okay. Okay. And and they've been going. He founded them in 1909, I think. And, okay. uh, they, I wanna... and unfortunately, you know, our, our current uh, school system, both even the private and, and public, totally tries to get people to be active thinkers, you know, to think logically, to use words. And so everyone, we've become kind of like dinosaurs. We're sort of lopsided. Mm-hmm. Instead of being balanced, like Steiner said, uh, you need to be balanced between passive thinking, active thinking, and intuitive thinking. And once you start mm-hmm. developing intuitive thinking, Answers come from within you. You become more sensitive to in, invisible uh, realms. I, as an electrical engineer, I would say I think there are different frequency ranges of, of awareness. Let me, yes. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. I, uh, I want to stop you for a second because I do want to go through the book with some questions I have. And I, sure. I'm so excited that you're enthusiastic because a lot of my guests, um, it's like incredible to have your enthusiasm. I'm really excited about that. Before we do that, though, because we're already like 20 minutes into the episode, I'd like to sure. – there's a caller that called in that I'd like to have on the air briefly, and then we'll get back into the book because I do have some important questions I want to ask you about the book sure, itself so yeah. the audience kind of gets an overview. Hold on one second, okay? Me. Hello, Julia. Hi, uh, this is Jason Zook. Welcome to the show. You're calling from 863. Huh? Is that correct? Is that, there we go. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank and you. I know you have a question, and can you pose that question for our our show, please? Well, um, it's interesting um, with the super sensible perception because I would like to uh, draw in a life partner, uh, a committed love relationship. So I don't okay. know if there is any guidance or insights you might have around, um, you know, that relationship okay. coming in. Great. So you're asking whether or not you'll are you you're not currently in a relationship, right? No, no, I'm not with anyone okay. else. Oh yeah, well okay. I could say um, something. I could speak something about that, and then I'll let Jason. You know, Jason actually ahead. works more as Absolutely. a as a psychic uh, healer, I believe. Uh, I'm more of a yeah. scientist trying to research this stuff. But but one of the big problems in in relationships in the modern world is people again are like going around with this total active thinking they're they're talking too much too many words that that uh, that narrow down your range of being aware of each other and so so many so many couples argue you know with words and it gets it it, it gets worse it uh, it it's not a way to solve problems arguing with words but uh, are finding someone who's compatible with you and a companion. What does work is if you are able to develop uh, more intuitive thinking, you'll intuitively feel when you see someone that that here's a relationship that might really work, that you, you feel the person's heart in a way. In fact, sometimes I've opened the door to meet someone I've never met before, opened the door, and there they are, and suddenly we both like to stare at each other because you can feel – something that you really can't put in words uh, because it's not words, it's feeling. And unfortunately, our educational system doesn't focus on getting people to, to feel, uh, to, to sense very subtle, subtle uh, feelings. Um, 
Somebody once said, in fact, this is a, a quote from the bass guitarist for the punk band Blondie. His name is Gary Lockman, and he's written some books. He wrote a book on Rudolf Steiner, and he says, one result of practicing Steiner's exercises is a change in one's dreams. Another result is the beginning of the ability to perceive auras. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, it, I, I think if you're looking for a relationship, um, developing super sensible perception is definitely going to help you probably find someone that's uh, going to turn out to be a more authentic, deep relationship than just one based on words and talking and what did I do and, and all these things. But the basic practice is everyone can do it. Everyone can actually start to balance their mind and develop these uh, neuroplastic changes in their brain. You just have to try to quiet your thinking sometimes every day. I started out doing it for five minutes, and I I would sit down and set a little Radio Shack timer years ago for five minutes to try to close my eyes in the dark and sit down and try to not think. Well, it just didn't work, you know, after like – 10 or 15 seconds, a memory would come up, like, I wonder how long I've been doing this, you know, or, you know, (laughs) you know, what should I, what should I say to my boss tomorrow? Or, you know, did I file my tax? You know, all kinds of things pop up because your active mind, the one that Steiner says is over, over developed, it's like an inbox that has a whole bunch of thoughts waiting to pop up there, like one at a time. And the moment you get quiet, you know, I mean, there's an old saying, a penny for your thoughts. It's kind of an insult. It's like, it's like why, are, why are you not thinking, you know? We're so trained to think that we miss, we miss the, the, the subtlety of being able to uh, perceive somebody else in the way that children perceive them, you know, or that uh, or, or a saint or, or a mystic would perceive them. But anybody can develop this. What you have to do is you have to practice a little bit every day on a regular basis, and preferably you can do this through through maybe a religion that you learned when you were a child. You know, shouldn't totally cut yourself off from your your roots. Ideally, if you if you approach it from a, a religious aspect, uh, that would be probably beneficial. But unfortunately, most of our religions have uh, edited out anything to do with mysticism. In fact, when I was a, a child, I went to Catholic school in eighth grade. And the nuns never talked about meditation or contemplation or mysticism. They never did. And I, I was only in my, my 30s when I had I, a son and daughter that I, I discovered mm-hmm. in the Middle Ages there's all kinds of writings by saints on how to develop inner sensitivity to the invisible worlds and the higher, the higher worlds and how you can perceive angels. And, you know, you don't have to call them angels, but they're the same kind of entities that I saw when I was 21 on the beach uh, under the influence of LSD, I'm, I'm pretty sure that okay. there, that's a reality. So I, I'm not sure I answered your question 100%, but I tried. <laughs> well, well what you. I like what thank you, you did. You're welcome, Julie. I like the yeah. What I like what you did with that was you're tying in the topic that we're working through right now with your developing super sensible perception and giving it as an example based on her questions. So I really like that a lot. Um, just to read for you, Julia. One of the things I mm-hmm. get um, in terms of, of this question about whether or not you're going to find your life uh, – find, find companionship, I should call it, is to say I feel like when I, when I tune into your, your information energy, um, one of the things I get is that you're, you're kind of really stressing out about this 
and I feel like you feel like there's obstacles in the way for you to be able to find that find a match to yourself, so to speak. And one one of the ways to avoid that is to try to put these what if thoughts out of your mind. Uh, any clients I work with when I give readings to them is I always tell them half the time they come in, a lot of what they come in with is anxiety, worry, concern, all the, and it's human nature. We all have those kind of situations with the unknown where we really want something. And then the next thing you know, you're sitting there and you're worrying about it. And it's, it's like if you had an old laptop where the old laptop has gotten really weighed down by a lot of, you know, the memory, slow, it slows down and it's bogged down and it's not acting to optimal performance, right? So one of the things I'm going to tell you is that I absolutely think you will be in a relationship. And I do feel like if you take, um, if you make the effort to do so, uh, to circulate yourself as well as to give yourself, and I'm going to borrow from your book right now, Dr. Joy, uh, the mantra. I always tell people about mantras. My um one of the things I'll say is if you were to wake up in the morning and instead of you worrying about when will I find the right person for myself, you should change that to be I am going to use today as an opportunity to circulate myself, to introduce myself to different people. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to, I'm, instead, I'm going to actually literally challenge myself to grow, get outside of my comfort zone. You're not intended to be by yourself, okay? And I see you – with somebody who is really good at repairing things, very handy, uh, does a lot of repairs around the house. And that's going to be somebody who makes you comfortable when you're home with them. And I also think there'll be a silent type of person with not as many words to, I mean, you'll know your connection with this person, but I feel like um, they're going to be more reserved than you and someone who is a good listener and not necessarily a, as much of a talker, but they'll be a listener for you, a sounding board. And they're going to give you the ability to really feel that comfort. One of my best friends from college, he was literally single for over 20 years, okay? I'm telling you my age. I'm in my 40s. And he would always ask me, when do you think I'm finally going to meet somebody? And he, he almost gave up. And I kept telling him, over the years, it's before I even became open about being intuitive, I'd say to him, I could see you with a blonde. I could see you with somebody who's blonde. I could see you with somebody who's younger, and it's going to happen. And every and this is like seven years before it happened. And every year, he would constantly tell me, no, no, it's not going to happen. He was skeptical. And then finally now he's with somebody. And I can see you being with someone as well, and I do think it's going to take a little effort on your part to do some, some soul searching to get outside of your box, meaning not to be reticent to – be passive about it, like a laissez-faire type of thing, and let it come to you. You need to be a little more, um, assur- uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the right word. Uh, assert yourself, and more assertive. You want you want to assert yourself here, and and not to also fear rejection. Okay, so one of the things that I would say with that is, if you were to circulate yourself and get yourself out there, whatever it is, if it's interests and hobbies you have at this particular stage of your life. There's a lot of these different opportunities that you can look at instead of thinking that you're closed off or that you're challenged with it. I really do see you having an opportunity to make this um, change in your life for the better, and I do see you meeting somebody. I don't think it's going to take you very long. Am I going to tell you you're going to meet one person and be with that one person the rest of your life? 
It'd be irresponsible for me to say that to you because what relationships, free will plays a large role. I can tell you that I do see you with somebody. I do think it's going to be a committed and relationship where you do really experience a deep level of companionship. I think it's, it's going to be premised on you being able to take a little different strategy than what you've done in the past, though. Oh, different strategy. Do you have any questions about that? It, yeah, and I'll give you an um, example. So, yeah. My mom, <laughs> I'm going to give you an example here. My mom is in her 70s, right? When she first came to down here to Florida Retire, she went on that Our Time website and tried to meet people through that. And it wasn't her cup of tea, but I will tell you that online dating may not be the best option out there, but it also gives you an opportunity to circulate yourself in an easier way than going out to, you know, various places that you might think you want to meet somebody. I'm going to say this, though. I do see it in your, car, in your future in the sense that you are going to be with somebody almost, I feel like, by the holidays. If you take this as a challenge for yourself, and instead of looking at it as a negative experience that you're single and you want to find somebody, look at it as a challenge, a positive challenge for yourself that you can find somebody and that you're going to have the, the dating aspect of it. And a lot of people don't think dating is supposed to be a positive experience. I think it is. Um, I'm actually doing that right, right now myself. By dating and putting myself out there but not doing it in, in my own methodology, I find it's enjoyable to meet different people and then figure out what you want. And, and so envision those things, but use, use your like extra, you know, your, your super sensible perception, which would be, if you, if you listen to the rest of the show, being able to cultivate and give yourself the meaning to do so. I really do think you have a good shot and a good, a, a good opportunity. Um, it's just going to take a little effort on your part. I don't think it's going to require a lot, to be honest with you. I think it's going to take a little effort on your part, but you got to, you got to just sit down and map out what kind of partner you envision for yourself and make that as, your, as a visual for yourself and then take additional steps of trying things that you haven't done before. But I feel like if you do that and when you do that, you're going to find someone within three to four months from when you start doing this. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, that sounds pretty cool. Well, I thought that was interesting well, that you even thought of like when, when it was your friend that you – thought they, you know, the hair color and everything. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's pretty well, I specific up, that you pick I up hair up, color. Yeah. <laughs> I brought up my friend for a reason. I doubt he's listening right now, so I don't have to worry about it. But if he does tune in, <laughs> I brought him up for the reason of an example of somebody who mm -hmm. lost that optimism and that faith of thinking that they can find a match for themselves. And I was always yeah. that person always said, you will, you will, you will. And then finally it happens. And then the next thing you know, you know, now they believe and they're, and they're more, he's more confident and optimistic. So that's what I see for you. Yeah. Something made me bring that up as an, as an anecdote to kind of give you some point of reference. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you so much. That was okay. cool. You left me thank feeling so uplifted much. and optimistic. So uh, thank no you. Worries. Appreciate it. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for supporting the show. All right. Thank thanks. You. We're back. Okay, Jason, may I say I, uh, something from what you yeah. said? Sure. Um, you, you you mentioned that you, were, you said something about a laptop, but you were in the context of uh, about anxiety, worry, and concern. Yes. And it's that yes. active mind, our, our verbal mind, that creates so much anxiety and worry and concern. And uh, according to, to Steiner and and some of the modern research in consciousness studies, 
your mind, your your active mind, your brain, the neurons that operate uh, in your cerebral cortex are like a laptop computer. It's just a, a kind of a dumb laptop computer that, that stores memories, brings up memories, it does logic, but it's always thinking and talking to itself. And that's driving us crazy. I mean, us as a nation is driving people crazy. They can't stop thinking. And, and uh, if once they start worrying and have anxiety and concerns, it, it snowballs. Well, the antidote to that is, is finding a balance by developing in the intuitive side of our awareness. Uh, intuition itself is a word, if you look it up, it means to contemplate, to look inside, or to be taught by looking within. And by wow. learning to, to, to put your laptop mind in sleep mode, you know, we're, we're, it's so easy to put our laptops in sleep mode, to save electricity, for instance, <laughs> whatever. You can actually put your laptop mind in sleep mode, and, and that's, that's the practice of uh, uh, trying to develop intuitive thinking. You first shut down your laptop electrical mind, and then you start to feel. And one of the ways of doing it is to focus on what the Indians call chakras, Probably the most common one to focus on is your heart. So if at, at the point where you've been practicing to get quiet inside and, and try not to worry and think in words, once you get fairly quiet, you just put your awareness down in your heart. Try to imagine, visualize the heart, uh, and start to actually feel it. See, can I really feel a little bit of, of warmth down there in the heart? And you'll find that the more you do this, you might have to do it just for a few minutes every day. Um, It'll, it'll develop because what, according to uh, the Indians, mystics, and my own experience, when these things develop like plants, and it, it's like putting sunlight and water to a coleus plant. When you focus on a, on a certain area like the heart, a chakra, it slowly develops over time and gets more sensitized and can start to tune in to, to these inner dimensions that the, this, your inner self is, is way down deep buried underneath your laptop mind. So you, you put the laptop mind to sleep so you're not having any words or anxieties or worries. And if nothing else, it's just giving your, your, your laptop mind, they call it the monkey mind in India, you're giving it a break, you're, you're letting it rest. And, but your awareness is there still. So what do, you, what do you start to become aware of? Well, the idea is you listen. You, you listen to, to very subtle uh, pieces of information that are coming in. It's almost like touching some, something new. And it's basically the where, where you go in the dream world. Uh, uh, when at night your laptop computer shuts down, you stop thinking, uh, lets you go to sleep, and, and you fall deep down into this dream state, which is, which is right on the edge of super sensible perception. So you're perceiving things in, in these other realms, but they're translated uh, into images that you can see and hear in your dream. Uh, and things are quite often, according to Jung and a lot of other psychologists, they're symbolic. So the things you're seeing aren't exactly the things in the supersensible world, but they're pretty close to it. And if you're in tune with your deep inner self, uh, you're being taught by looking within. And the dreams are actually bringing you some kind of a message. In fact, a really good way of working with this is having a dream journal right by your bed, a little notebook or a piece yes. of paper and a pen. Absolutely. And the moment you wake up, yes. try not to think. Don't let that laptop mind boot up because as soon as it boots up, it's full of <laughs> you know, CNN and CBS and oh, yeah. New York Times and, and emails. You, just, you wake up slowly and try to maintain contact with your dream and write down whatever you can retrieve from the dream. 
And uh, this is basically the way people become integrated. Uh, uh, Jung calls it individuation. And Steiner would call it getting the three modes of thinking balanced, the passive thinking, the active thinking, and the intuitive thinking. And once you're balanced, you're you're, you're in a place of peace. You can take in information. You can think ideas, but but they won't captivate you. You know, you won't just be totally focused and obsessed by, you know, oh, what did my boyfriend mean by by saying that? You know, and you know, running it over and over and over in your mind is not going to solve anything. But by going deep within, you'll find that you'll you'll be you'll find some information, some kind of a feeling that will bring you understanding and peace. And it really grows if you're able to practice. So, you know, I would say like to, to Julia, uh, maybe you can find a, a meditation class somewhere, uh, a TM class or a, uh, if you're, there's, there's every religion these days has some kind of a contemplative practice class, I believe, you know. And, uh, and the mm-hmm. Buddhists have one called mindfulness. And yes, David Lynch, the great director, he's done, done some really crazy movies, but David Lynch has been meditating for years and he says it's one way that he comes up with ideas, creative ideas to, for his movies. He's invested like about $800,000 in a program to train children to meditate. It's, uh, he does it using TM, Transcendental Meditation. But basically, mm-hmm. all the meditation techniques are very similar. They're, they're, they're trying to develop part of you that's on the evolutionary cutting edge of your, of your awareness but our particular educational system doesn't train people to do it. They want you to become accountants, uh, you know, telephone operators or uh, uh, insurance company adjusters or, you know, uh, are working Correct. with machines. So we're really educated in the, uh, over-educated in the wrong direction. And to compensate, it's very important to, uh, to learn to get in touch with your inner, deeper self. And it's crazy why it's not taught in school. I guess people decided to cut religious teachings out of schools because there's so many religions, you know. I mean, there really are. There's, if you look it up, if you Google uh, how many religions are there, I did that the other day. There's 4,200 religions. Wow. Of course, there's only, you know, wow. three or four major ones. Uh, you don't hear about the smaller ones. But um, religions traditionally were a way of teaching people to develop a, a, a connection between them and the divine, connection. between them and, and God, or at least between them and their guardian angels, or angels, or uh, mm-hmm. uh, fairies, something, you know, the mysterious. And unfortunately, our, our, our dependence on science has, has made the universe a very sterile, cold place. And, and so people don't even bother I, to look for this mysterious stuff. Yeah. I want to ask you something. Uh, one of the things that I got to do, and I'm going to do again very shortly, is I went into a sensory deprivation tank here in Tampa. Yes, yes. And yeah. that's where you're in the salt water and you, you're, you're floating for an hour and you're totally deprived of all your senses. And when I had that experience about two years ago, the one thing I came out of with that was the interconnectedness of everything in our world, everything in our universe. I, I felt yes, this yes. fabric almost – and it, it gave me the uh, – almost like the patchwork quilt that you think of um, – it, like your grandmother made those patch, like my grandmother used to make these patchwork quilts or great grandmother, I should say. And they had the little square boxes. And the feeling yeah. I had was when I came out of that experience was everything is so interconnected with each other. We really are part of a, a whole, a gestalt, as they say. Um, 
that that it, it, it's something that gave me a greater understanding or appreciation of where we are in our world and our yes, universe. Yeah. And, That's and, it. Yeah. And I, uh, I think it's interesting when I was looking at your book that you talk about these various ways of engaging your, your higher self, if that's what you want to call it, or, you know, through meditation, prayer, exercise, I believe it was a couple of those. And I know that there's also, you said by birth and then psychosocial, psychophysical experiences. I do a lot of meditation. In fact, the more I meditate and the more I pray, because I do both, the more intuitive I have become over the years. Um, I wanted to ask you, have you worked with other people through studies or just experiences where you've seen the increase of meditation, prayer, these type of, you know, these type of exercises, so to speak, and people coming to you and telling you, hey, since I did that, since I started to open myself up, I've been able to pick up on things, or I've been able to, I guess it is, uh, you know, in, in the sense of super sensible perception, though. But my question to you is this, do you find from personal experience that you've had people come to you when they do these things? And if so, what was your experience with their feedback for that? Well, uh, uh, right away, uh, the idea of the sensory deprivation chamber. I mentioned John Lilly before, Dr. John Lilly. He was really uh, an amazing guy uh, because he was exploring inner worlds. He developed, uh, after he stopped working with the dolphins, he developed sensory deprivation chambers, and he would go in them and take different different entheogens. He would take ketamine or sometimes a little LSD or some ayahuasca. He would go in a sensory deprivation chamber. And he was really a serious, uh, what I would call a psychonaut. He was an explorer of, of the psyche, uh, much like the, um, you know, the early people who would voyage across the sea to unknown continents and eventually they'd find the, the, you know, the, the North America. But, but uh, he, he, I worked with him, and I actually built a sensory deprivation chamber in uh, in New York because it's a pretty noisy place. Wow! I built it out of egg crates oh. and and canvas, and it worked pretty well. But uh, in the years since, I've discovered that uh, for 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 developing these these capabilities, you don't really have to have a sensory deprivation chamber. I use earplugs. They're simple earplugs that you can order from you know Amazon. Uh, they're they're usually sold to people who go shooting, so they don't hear the the bang of the gun. But I, when I travel, like uh, if I'm in a motel, I, I, I get up and turn off the lights in the room, and I sit on a cushion or two pillows, and um, I put these little uh, rubber earplugs in my ears and close my eyes and uh, shut down my laptop mind and just try to feel one with, with, with everything. And that's called uh, non-dual awareness. That's part of the title of my book is uh, developing okay. supersensory awareness through entheogens, prayer, and non-dual awareness. So prayer is I was going to ask you too. about non-dual awareness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's um, good that you brought that up. I was going to ask you about that, so it's great that you, you're discussing that already. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the idea of non-dual awareness is you, you really do feel that you're one with everything, but that needs to be cultivated. Cultivated meaning you need to actually spend time trying to, to control your laptop computer talkative mind monkey mind they call it in india and and just just sit down and relax if nothing else at first the first benefit is you're resting your mind you know you're resting that mind that might be full of anxieties and worries and concerns you're letting it rest and, and that's really healing in itself but beyond that 
when you're resting it, you start to hear other things. And I myself started hearing uh, very high-frequency sounds. Uh, being an electrical engineer, I knew that they were sinusoids, very pure, kind of crystalline, little tiny sounds. And um, what's that's called, I discovered, uh, doctors think it's a disease. And people who start hearing the sounds think, oh, no, I hate those sounds. It's a disease. So they go to the doctor, and it's called tinnitus. Tinnitus. And I'll tell you something very funny. Uh, About 20 years ago, when the Internet was just getting started, 20, 25 years ago, I joined, I heard a group. There's a group uh, uh, called the Tinnitus Group. So I I logged on the Tinnitus Group, and I said, you know, I've been hearing these sounds when I meditate. And the more I meditate, they they start to get more complex, and they appear in different parts of my, my mind, my brain. Sometimes even my heart makes a little sound, a high pitched sound. And I think it's the next stage of evolution. Oh, boy, did I get flamed. You know, all these people said, no, we're sick. It's a disease. uh, My doctor gives me drugs, so I won't hear them. And I read something very interesting that 80% of American adults will have what they call tinnitus at some time in their life. They'll start to hear the sounds. Mm -hmm. But instead of going with them and developing them uh, in an intuitive way, and exploring them and seeing what if they will unfold and get more rich, which they do, uh, they go to a doctor and try to get rid of it. You know, and they think, "Oh, I'm sick." You know, it's the funny thing. It's very similar to when I had my tonsils out when I was eight. I had my tonsils out, hmm. and then a year or two later, I read a science fiction story that the next stage of evolution was telepathy, and your tonsils were these mysterious organs that will start to develop and give you telepathy. I was so angry that my parents had <laughs> taken my tonsils out. Said, oh, no, I've been yeah. deprived of, of, of. So um, so what I, what I can say is anybody, anybody, no matter how educated or uneducated you are, um, what, what your background is in terms of religion or anything, you can, you can become more centered and balanced and healthy if you are able to uh, develop some of these um, ways of getting in touch with your deep inner self in the silence. Silence is really important, and listening in the silence. So you can do it uh, any time. Uh, like say you're walking in the woods or a park and you see a tree about 100 feet away. One, one exercise yeah. is to say, okay, I'm not going to think. I'm going to just shut down my laptop mind. I'm going to be totally aware of everything around me, non-dual, me and the trees and the sky and the clouds and the, and I'm just going to walk to that tree without thinking. Well, you know, it's a lot harder than you really think. I mean, uh, <laughs> because you think about it too much. But sure. uh, that's a really great exercise. It was uh, taught to me by a by a, a wow. great man who who also uh, did the yoga of uh, anatta, which is that there's a yoga of internal sounds that some people start sure. to hear when they're in the silence. So I um I want to ask you a question about sure. one of the parts of your book. When we talk about the cosmology of consciousness, that chapter, the quantum mechanics of it, one of my, yes. and this is an interesting aspect for me that I want to bring up to you. When you talk about the space-time dimensions that we're all familiar with, when we, yeah. think, when we think of time and we think of space itself, and when I do mediumship readings, one of the things I pick up from the other side is that time doesn't exist over there, that they're in yeah, a definitely, yeah. existence. Time doesn't exist over there, so they're out of time, right? And one of my questions is, I'm fascinated by this idea, but the idea of other dimensions that we can't pick up yet. And I wanted to ask you uh, findings about that. Yeah. 
I, I, okay, this is really ties into quantum mechanics very much so. You know, quantum mechanics uh, uh, is really responsible for our iPhones and our laptops and uh, our ways of communicating so many things. Um, one of the basic things of quantum mechanics is that there are other dimensions beyond time and space. Um, it's, there's something called string theory, which uh, there's also a version of it called M-theory, which posits that there's 11 or 12 dimensions, uh, and only four of them are space and time. Space is three dimensions. You know, hmm. you, uh, if you see a graph X, Y, and Z uh, pointing in, uh, at 90 degrees to each other, that space is, is easy to understand that it's three dimensions. Time is one dimension. So we basically live our normal everyday life in four dimensions. But there are actually seven more dimensions, and it's it's proven because they were able to do the mathematics to predict how quantum particles move in experiments, but it requires the existence of seven additional dimensions. Each one is totally uh, different than the other. So what if we were able to start to perceive in these other dimensions? Now, one of the dimensions some people think is, is what we call love. There's a dimension called love or feeling. And and this dimension runs from, from hate and anger all the way to love and, and bliss and joy. So super sensible perception is a way of trying to learn to, to perceive dimensions beyond space and time. And so you, you, you enter this non-dual space where, where, you, where you're actually in touch with, with, with everyone in a way uh, because there is no space in this dimension. So if there's no space, everything is touching. And it's, uh, the Indians call it the Akasha, the, and the Akasha records are all information. Everything we do is recorded. You know, we think we're like webcams, and everything that is recorded in our life goes into this, these other dimensions uh, called the Akashic records. Erwin um, Laszlo, he's a Nobel uh, Prize uh, winner, he actually has called it the A dimension. And uh, he called it A because it's based on the Indian idea of the Akasha. And the Indian sages were able to develop their super sensible perception enough to, to link with this non-dual area. In quantum physics, uh, the, the physicist David Bohm named it the implicate order. And the implicate order is outside of space and time, but it, it pervades space and time everywhere. It's at really, really small dimensions. They're like little tiny black holes uh, within us. And, and through trying to just be quiet and listen, uh, eventually our, 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 our brains, our, our systems will evolve to start being sensitive. You'll be sensitized to, to feelings that are teaching feelings, you know, like uh, you might intuitively not want to get on an airplane, you know, and you have a really strong feeling about it. Maybe that airplane would crash. Well, this has happened to people before. They, something tells me not to get on that airplane. Something's going to happen. Or if you meet someone and, and you don't know them at all, but you, you have a really bad feeling about them, like something is strange, you know. These are You're actually contacting another dimension, maybe through your chakras, one of your seven chakras. Uh, and there's one theory that each one of your chakras actually com can communicate with each one of these other dimensions beyond space and time. And, of course, the chakras, the seven ones, there's one in your head, one in your throat, one in your heart, one just below your lungs, one in your mm -hmm. abdomen, and one down in your perineum. And uh, part of the meditation practices, especially in India, is to focus your awareness 
on, on one of those areas for as long as you can until you feel something tingle there. And that will actually feed that area. And they actually develop and grow like a flower. In fact, the chakras are called, uh, sometimes they're called lotuses or blossoms because they'll start to open. And if you look through a physiological book, uh, a physiology yeah. book, you'll see that that's where all the nerve plexes and capillaries and endocrine uh, systems are. There's little areas uh, that correspond to the chakras that the Indian mystics discovered through just through meditation that you really can that's develop. Also, so that, that's part of my book. Uh, I have a lot of diagrams yeah. in the book because I'm trying to make it understandable by people who don't have an electrical engineering degree and don't have a lot of math. So I have 40 diagrams in, in my book that uh, should help people try to understand consciousness, the geometry of consciousness, and, and techniques from Steiner, distilled from his uh, many, many books, uh, that, that really can help you make progress in finding a more balanced way of being aware in the world. And I, I think, you know, if yeah, more people did it, we'd have less questions. shootings in malls yeah. and less, you know, less people going crazy because yeah. they're just totally out of balance I, because I think I'm blaming the educational system as, as, as being so materialistic and so based on mm -hmm. science and that people just don't know what's going on. I have a question for you. I just in, in, time, in terms of, of your book, one of the other things you talk about is brain, the human brain versus consciousness, where which one yes. predates the other. And I, and your book I think says that consciousness predates the human brain, or our brains as they are, and that that yes. is our awareness, right? That's our that's that's our that's our thinking capacity as humans. That's what makes us uh, sentient beings. And you talk about the electromagnetic field. Um, and I wanted to see if you could kind of tie that. We're running short on time, and we're going to go a few minutes over. But I want to ask you because I want to get a couple other questions in. But my question with the electromagnetic field and consciousness and the brain, I was going to see if you could kind of tie that briefly together for our audience so that they can kind of, you know, hear that without being in the book yet. You know, give them yeah, kind well, of a primers. The brain very much it runs on neurons, and, and that's pretty much like a, a laptop computer. But that's not – it's not our real consciousness. Our consciousness is working through the brain, just like we at a keyboard is working, you know, the laptop computer. So uh, another area of consciousness is actually in the blood, the bloodstream and the heart. Um, because the blood is uh, very warm and ionic, and it's coursing very fast, and it's full of, uh, 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 it's got iron in it, actually. Most of the iron in our body is in the red blood cells. So the theory of quantum brain dynamics is that there's a whole mode of consciousness in our bloodstream that is different than the laptop computer, the electrical impulses in the brain. And uh, the first thing that the fetus has is basically just a pulsing heart, you know, a, a little tiny pulsation with liquid in there, of water. And water is such a mysterious thing. It makes up, you know, 90% of our blood is, is this, uh, yep. these little water which, which is ionized and very well, and they resonate. So the idea is that our entire blood system is another uh, kind of a, I think Steiner would say that's really where, where our intuitive thinking occurs within our bloodstream. Uh, it's really, in, in most religions, blood is really special too. I mean, in uh, Judaism sure. and uh, a lot of things, and the heart, you know, and among Aztecs, they like to take people's hearts out for some reason. Exactly, but, um, do sacrifices. But, uh, <laughs> the funny thing, Japanese, the, the heart, the symbol for the heart, for thinking, the word for thinking in Japanese is the symbol for the heart. 
So they used to think that you really think with your heart. Unfortunately, our educational system teaches people only to think with their laptop brain, and there's no development of heart, empathy, you know, uh, uh, sort of love. You know, you might get that if you have loving parents and a loving family. Yeah, you might get that if you have a loving school, but I'm not so sure. Everything is based around words and uh, logic, and and uh, we're really not very balanced. So if people want to get a better idea of this, if they would read my book, uh, Developing Supersensible mm-hmm. Perception, I, I think they'd get a few tips that would help become a more balanced, healthy, happy, centered person. That's my hope well, anyway. I'm going to say a couple things. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll say a few things. One, your book itself, I like the way it ties this topic very well, very well presented. You took uh, Steiner and you've taken these other, like Max Planck, I believe, and other theorists and tied this with your background in electrical engineering. And you have your PhD in what exactly? To our audience, uh, it's, that, uh, I know it's, that's it's uh, actually with a program called uh, Philosophy, uh, uh, Consciousness, and Cosmology. Cosmology is the whole universe. That's an interesting you know, area. Yeah, yeah, very interesting it, area. It, it's a small specialty area in uh, the Department of uh, Philosophy and Religion because I was always interested in comparative religions, and I've actually looked really deeply into two or three religions. I've actually converted two or three times, and now I'm back to Christianity. So, uh, okay. um, I think well, all religions are like flowers. You know, you can't really say which flower is the best. They're all beautiful, and they're all part of the universe. And I think God created all religions along with all the flowers. So why should people yeah. fight? That's because they're probably too tied up in their active mind, you know, and they need a little bit more meditation. Or infusion. this. <laughs> Looking, yeah, actually, I'm a big advocate of natural medicine and alternative modalities of healing, like Reiki, pranic healing, meditative aspects, all those kind of things. I'm looking at your last chapter of your book, the philosophy, physiology of consciousness, and yes. I, I really, I really, it resonated with me the part where you, 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 you paint the picture of where do we go from here? And I believe you discuss the future of human consciousness. And this is a topic that I've actually had discussions with, with multiple people, just not on the air, but just out of curiosity with the idea that we're advancing in such a way right now that eventually we might be able to replicate the human brain with artificial intelligence and computers and will be able to be uploaded into a cloud or one of those kind of things. And I wanted to see if you could just discuss that in our closing part of the show right now for the audience and, and how that ties into the topic of developing super sensible perception. Well, um, actually I, I really do believe as an electrical engineer and someone who's studying consciousness primarily that there will soon be devices that will augment our, our, our brain. But they're pretty much will be augmenting our laptop computer brain. So uh, okay. our, our information from our whole being actually is already uploaded into the implicate order. Into, uh, the universe actually is very, very, very smart, and we, I think no information is lost. In fact, uh, Stephen Hawking, the great physicist, says that information, mm. very mysterious, information going into a black hole he says it's lost. Well, it's not lost. It's going into there in those other dimensions where they're all touching and they're all together. So all the information that you, you perceive during your life, uh, everybody's life is stored in what they call the Akashic Records. And it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's compatible with quantum mechanics, very much so. So 
you know, I, I think that even though we'll augment our thinking with electronic devices very soon, uh, you st- we still have to develop our, our blood, our heart, our our uh, our capacity for empathy. Empathy is like a it has an IQ, and most of us are very stupid with empathy. You know, and empathy is a way of actually feeling another person's heart and energy directly uh, in other dimensions, other bandwidths than the normal ways that we talk. Talking is very primitive, really, because we're all we can do is deal with the words that have already been invented and trying to put logical sentences together. And usually you're talking about more subtle things than words can capture. So I really urge everyone to try to uh, try to learn to meditate a little bit um, in your prayer life. Uh, even in, if you go to church, you can be you can try during church to to not only pray but stop thinking. You know, don't think about oh, how long has this service been going on? You know, something like that. I, well, as a kid, I used to do that. You know, so sure. Uh, I think we I think we're still evolving and there's going to be wonderful things in the future and all of the horrible things that seem to be going on right now are really just like a baby in labor uh, as a society I think we're just going through the birth pains and I think that around the corner is a real change in consciousness but we all have to try to work at it and contribute and not just give up and and not just uh live in one perspective you know uh always talking to ourselves and having our head full of words and things that we get from TV and people giving speeches. Just just quiet down and, and go a little bit slower, I think, is, is pretty important. I want to ask you, in, in closing on this interview today on the show, that you've dedicated a significant amount of your personal time to develop this topic, and I know you have other books that you've written. Um, are you going to be touring at all? Are you going to be having any appearances? What If anyone in the audience wants to reach out to you directly, how would they reach out to you? Well, I do have a, a website. Uh, it's shellyjoy.net, uh, S-H-E-L-L-I-J-O-Y-E.net. Or you can just Google my name, S-H-E-L-L-I, Shelly, space, J-O-Y-E. It's joy with a silent E at the end. And you you can get a lot of information on on uh, my my interviews and uh, books that I've written. And I'm also a painter. I've been painting for about 40 years, so I paint abstract paintings. If you go to my website, ShellyJoy.net, uh, I used to have ShellyJoy.com, but I, I stopped using the okay. internet for a while when I wrote my dissertation. And then I went back to get the ShellyJoy.com, and somebody wanted to sell it to me for $900. <laughs> they do that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I took ShellyJoy.net. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my next book is going to be on, on cannabis and, and uh, cannabis yoga and the implicate order, how to find God through non-dual awareness. Because I also, I would uh, love part of my practice it. is smoking a little bit of cannabis before I meditate sometimes when I really want to get deeply into the silence of the interior uh, uh, you know, to be taught by looking within, basically. Contemplation really seems to go a little bit better with a little bit of cannabis. And uh, unfortunately, most <laughs> of our cannabis use is for, you know, amusement and entertainment. And I think it needs to be used more like an entheogen and treated with respect. I don't think kids should use it. Absolutely. But, but most adults could probably benefit by by being very quiet and trying to get to know themselves, uh, possibly with their minds slightly expanded by cannabis. Um, I think I agree with you on that. I think medical marijuana, like for states like Florida, we just passed it a couple of years ago, 
And I know yeah. a lot of people in our state here and other states, California's recreational and Colorado and those other places. I think that's the movement we're going to go in in the future. Um, I would love to have you back on the show when you release that book, if you're interested. And sure. I want to thank you for coming on today. I really, I really enjoyed having you on the show. I, I think what, what I really like about your perspective is that you have the electrical engineering background and you've approached this from a mathematical perspective and you tied in all these theorists such as, you know, Steiner and others and, and, and updating it in a way where it's, it's relevant in our modern age. And I, I really appreciate that. I, I, I highly recommend our, this book to our audience. I think that they will enjoy um, learning these concepts and theories and, and being able to, you know, you can actually practice it yourself and awaken your own higher consciousness. So definitely. And so thank you so thanks. much for having me on Jason. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure and I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> okay. But, uh, well, God bless you. For sure. Thank you. Have thank a great you. night. God bless. Hey, bye-bye. Thank you. Hi. I would say that in each of these episodes that I do, I get, I get a, a, a increased perspective one step closer than before in the sense that paradigm shifts are something that I, I believe very heavily in. And I think when you look at this topic of developing super sensible perception, you can tie in all these various um, entheogens such as plants and prayer, non-dual awareness. You can incorporate things such as exercise, uh, meditation. Meditation is such a powerful thing. I often have people ask me when I do readings with them, I can't meditate. I can't quiet my mind. I can't meditate. What should I do? And I always want to just say it's such a basic thing. Once you learn how to do it, it's such a powerful thing. It's like hitting the reset button on your, on your way of perceiving and thinking. And it does get us in touch with the spiritual realm, which I believe very strongly that we're mind, body, and spirit. And all these things that we discuss in these various topics like this super sensible perception looking at it from a scientific background and tying in all these various modalities, it, it really does give us the opportunity to shift our paradigm that we aren't just a four-dimensional existence. There are the possibilities of other outcomes or other po potentials. And those are very important to look at. And, and what I really like about this book is Dr. Joy took it a, a very convoluted, complicated topic and breaks it down. She, she breaks it down very well into an opportunity for a lay person to look at this and, and comprehend some concepts that you may not normally even think about, contemplate, or even you, you utilize. You know, you, you don't even look at this as something that we, in an everyday way, how often do we get in the car and think about something like super sensible perception? Probably not too frequently. So those of you who listen to the show, I, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you keeping the support of the podcast. And I really want to thank you um, for, for supporting everything we're doing here. And, in, and, and, and more than anything else, we can understand this concept, at least I can, because of Wi-Fi and radio and how frequencies work. And I tell people one of the things I think with my intuition is, I just am opened up through meditation and breath work and other things to frequencies and vibrations. And these are things that I think someday technology and our, 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 our advances and our inventions and all those kind of things will eventually be able to measure these types of occurrences and phenomena. 
So with that said, thank you for coming, uh, for tuning in. Thank you, Dr. Joe, Joy, for, for being on the show as a special guest. I want to thank Inner Traditions, the publisher, uh, for supporting uh, this episode as well. And uh, as always, we will be back next Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have any questions regarding this material or anything else, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me on the email at info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com. I have some exciting things coming up uh, with the YouTube channel for the Social Psychic. That'll be coming shortly. And um, thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Are you looking for that perfect gift to express your appreciation for your loved one or bestie? Well, look no further. Royal Susie offers one-of-a-kind designs with genuine high-quality crystals, stones, and the most precious of metals that are guaranteed to satisfy the urges of your inner king or queen. Each piece is handcrafted with love and is sure to inspire and captivate all. Indulge yourself by visiting Royal Susie's website at www.royalsusie.com for splendid items like agate bookends, impressively crystal-studded bottle stoppers, and beautifully handcrafted nightlights that will charm every room in your home. Royal Susie's featured collections will truly delight your guests and always make them feel welcome. Any questions? Contact Royal Susie directly by email at royalsusiedesigns at yahoo.com. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Welcome to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.